in this uh, session. If I, I don't want to answer certain things now, because if I did, it, you know, I must just, just close the meeting without properly establishing it. You understand what I'm saying? You know, but the question you raised in First Corinthians chapter six is it's not a real issue. But when I get there, I will explain it. I will explain it. But okay, let me okay, let me just say this. Let, let me just say this to help you with that question. The one you brought on First Corinthians chapter six. Okay. Sanctification will explain when we get there. Is everybody in First Corinthians six? Okay. His question is, I made this statement that God has not sent anybody to hell. That unbelieving is what sends people to hell. Do you all hear that? Okay. So now he's showing me these scriptures that catalogs uh, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals. Aha, see what, that's why you raised it. You don't like homosexuals. So don't, <laughs> so, so don't mind. <laughs> so don't thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers. Now, I'm about to say something that is very, very important. I don't want you to miss this. This, this will help us, not just in this verse, but in other verses of scripture. Please hear what I'm about to say, and I'm going to take you to scripture to say it. Do you see how we read those scriptures and we did not make the right emphasis? Go back to verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous... So who is Paul talking to? No, come back to me. Talk to me. They are righteous. Why are they unrighteous? They didn't believe. Yeah. No, there's a mic. I want. Do, do, do you wanna, no, I'm facing you first. <laughs> you are the one that don't like sodomites. Let me let's <laughs> let's talk about it properly, my friend. Ah, no, okay. the, 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 the what I want to try is. Read the context. You never interpret a scripture by just looking at that one verse. You have to understand the context. That's why when we started this study, I gave you the full context of why Hebrews was written to begin with. Because if you miss the context, you miss the message. Yes, the point I would yes. like to make uh, is what I saw in verse 11. Okay. He said, and such was some of you. Ah, Doc. Oh, oh, oh. you get a dollar for that. <laughs> get a dollar for that. Did you, did you hear that? Not only did he address the unrighteous in verse 9, in verse 11, he said, and such war. What is war? No, please say it again. Say it again. I didn't hear you. Doctor, please tell me. <laughs> Past tense. Very salient point. But when we read it so horridly and read it with a particular mindset, we come away with a different result. Paul was addressing unrighteous people and they are unrighteous by virtue of not believing. And according to what we just read in verse 11, 
And so why some of you pastors? So what happens? You and I, because we are so legalistic, we've looked at David. You, you slept with Bathsheba. You kid riot, you eat at. Yes, I'll get you. You come to church, I'll, I'll deal with you. And so, and so with that mindset, we come to the pulpit and we slice David to pieces. Rip, say on. I don't know if you have anything else. Too powerful a point. It deserves another dollar. Don't you think that? <laughs> Did that clear your point? Okay, where's the, where's the, where are you hanging? Please. No, I understand the past. Okay. We still, you know, we, we see people. Sanctification. No, we, yeah, we see people that believe. Okay. In faith, in, strong in the church, but struggling. Okay. So what's your but question? I'll speak to the mic, please, sir. Speak to the mic. Speak to the mic for the bad foot of everybody else. I'm begging you. <laughs> okay, it's concern. Now, they hear this now. I'm going to say this. It's my son, and you know, I love him so dearly. So I can use him for this as a perfect example. Many of us, this is truth, we're holier than God. Many of us are more concerned for people's salvation than God Himself. No, that's the truth. And it's a, it's a liberating truth. Let, 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 let me put it like that. I hear his question and I know his concern. But I'm saying to you, be at rest. That in itself takes faith to stop toiling and struggling over something that does not concern you. This is God's kingdom. Who died for the sins of people? Was it you or God? Jesus did. So who should be concerned about people's salvation? God, and by extension, the burden that God gives me and you. Through God's dealing. God places a burden on us and says, Yanko, Falango, this is what you want. Once God gives you a burden, you move with that burden. But what I'm saying to you is be careful not to embrace a burden that is not yours. Jesus addressed this specifically. Come unto me. You that are labor and are heavy laden. What did he say we'll give them? And I will give you rest. Say, take my yoke upon you. Next question. Learn of me. Oh, don't miss that. Learn of me. How did Jesus function? How? How did he function? He was comfortable dialoguing with the Samaritan woman. Will you and I be comfortable by that today? For me and you to be seen with a woman that the entire city knows is a whore. We will be comfortable. We will think about our reputation, what people will think. Oh my God, I can't let Sarah see me because I don't know what she will think about. No. Learn of me. Under this dispensation of grace, I can sit down with a Samaritan woman and she cannot taint me, rather I will change her. Amen. Folks, you don't know what you have. That's the problem. We don't know what God has done for us. We have no idea. The woman was caught in adultery. The very act. Pastors, if you caught one of your choir members in the act of adultery, if you caught her or him, 
you walked into your office and they were doing it in your office. What would you do? How would you respond? You tell them where to go, how to get there, and how long to, sp to stay where they get there. Or, if they were doing it in the sanctuary, you come up with all kinds of reasons. Ah, oh, you desecrate the house of God. Really? God lives in bricks and mortars? He lives inside of you. So Jesus took the time and said, learn of me. If you want rest, you can't just enter into this thing. You have to take my yoke upon you. What is yoke? Yoke is an implement that is used to train another ox to know how to plow. So Jesus is saying, if you want to plow, take my yoke upon you. Come beside me. Let me lead you and guide you how to plow. But beyond and above that, learn of me. Learn. How do I do things? How? Zacchaeus was a sinner. Sinner. Bona fide tax collector. 419 scam star. The Africans doing scam. They have nothing on Zacchaeus. And Jesus was going along the way and, and saw Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, this day, I'm having lunch with you. Folks, let's take off this heart of religion. It is killing us and it causing us to be ineffective to those that God is sending us to. I hope that God will liberate all of us. Now, I must confess to you, I've had time to process all these things. So I understand the struggle. It's a legitimate, it spoke for many of us. And I commend you for that, for your boldness. I've had time to process this. God has been dealing with me on this since November last year. So it's taken me a while to come to the position that I'm in now. So I want to, for full disclosure, I just didn't get this last night. So I've had time to make the adjustment to think and to recalibrate my thinking. You, you guess you hear what I'm saying? But we can only enter into rest through sunish and by learning of him. How did he do what he did? Because all of us want nice looking, nice job paying members so that our house can be filled and we have great tithes and offerings. I desire to. But God says, those men and women that will pay those, those huge tithes you're looking for, they are still out there in the mud. They are looking for somebody to clean them up. They are the sodomites, the homosexuals, the thieves, the adulterers, the idolaters. They are there. They are looking for what they don't know what. And God said we are the agents to bring them in. But how can we do that if we go there condemning them? Now, I'm going to get to the point about the sanctification. It's a very important question, that aspect of it. But I just want to resolve the issue of believing, is, believing versus the things that are listed. And, and really, it, it, I'm so, I mean, it, this is what, why summit is so good. It's amazing because I never saw what Dr. Yanko just shared. I never saw that. 
And I've read this passage over and over and over. I never saw that part. I saw the one in the upper, I saw the upper part. That was what converted my wife in our debate. Because what, what, what me and you guys are talking about here, we debated. Months and months and months of debate. Finally, I saw that verse of scripture. I said, ah, do, you see, do you see this verse? Do you see this one here? She missed the part of it, so she, she don't understand what I'm saying yet. But, so this is why summit is good. We dialogue. And we allow scriptures to speak back to us. Back to my question, I think, uh, uh, Mr. Abessa, did you have an answer? You had it uh, about David, why God said he's a man after my own heart. You had a, your hand raised up. He had a contract heart and is quick to repent. Anybody else? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to gonna take a break in a few minutes. I just want to make sure. Yes, Laura. Mike. Shin, give it Mike. <laughs> well, um, all of those other men that you mentioned, God gave them an assignment or something to tell the people, and they went and told it they were prophets. They went. But with David, even when he was a boy, he was convinced of who God was. And when he slew Goliath, you don't see anywhere that the Lord told him, you know, anything. To, and he was just bringing food to his brothers. But he was, it bothered him. And he was just 16 or 17. When he saw Goliath saying that to the people of God, so he knew who he was as a child of God and who they were as the family of God. And he was like, who is this? You know, uncircumcised Philistine. So basically, it, you could see that it bothered him to the point where he, as a young man who wasn't really in the army, went out and, and killed Goliath. Amen. So I think he shared the heart of God on the real issues. And hmm. all the other issues are important too, like being a good you know, parent and, and all those other things. But I think that first, the, the main issue is still always more important and weightier, which is the spiritual issue. Amen. Oh, yes. Give her the mic, please. Thank you, Laura. No, no, that's all right. David had a certain or certain characteristics to qualify him for such an exalted description that Paul was speaking before the men of Israel. He tells them God's feelings about David. He said that he had found him to be connected to the Lord. God found in David that he, yes, was after his own heart because God knew that he will do everything that God will call him to do. Everything. There would be not one thing that David would not do that the Lord would have spoken to his heart. He lived with an open heart for all to examine him at all times. So his heart was pointed to God. Amen. Pointed to God. Amen. And in summary, his faith 
pleased God so much that he knew that he would be a great example for his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to lunch uh, in 40 minutes. So can I, do I have 37 minutes to just wrap this part up so I can mess up your lunch? <laughs> okay. There is only one reason <laughs> for which David enjoyed this commendation from God. Now, all the things everybody said is true about David. All of those virtues were indeed in him. But there's one particular reason, though, for which God picks him up and stands him apart from everybody else. And that one reason is critical to you and I, you and I being able to enter into this rest. What is the reason? David had an absolute, resolute confidence in the unfailing, unconditional love of God. That's it. Everybody take a deep breath. In other words, and I'm going to, we're going to go to scriptures in a minute. Ah, Lord Jesus. Okay, let me read one more scripture before I, before I go there. Because I, it just occurred to me, Jesus said something in John chapter 14. Because you, you may want to contend and say, oh, okay, I, I, can take, I can give you that. David loved, uh, you, you know, he, he, he trusted God's love. But what do you mean by he did all of my will? Does that mean when he was counting the number, the, the soldiers, when he was obviously wrong and was punished, it, it, that was that God's will? Do you see the way God thinks? Please, can you see that? This is a man out of my heart. Who will do all of my will? God, come on, please. When he was sleeping with Bathsheba, was that your will? When he was conspiring to kill Uriah the Hittite, I mean, what do you mean? How can you say this? As far as God is concerned, John chapter 14. Verse 21 and 22. It just says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Notice the, what Jesus, notice what God is saying here. How does God judge love? How does he de define whether a bank loves him or not? How does it define whether Baudet loves him or not? By doing obeying him. In contrast to that, when you obey him, it gives you the credit for loving him. Now, let's go to Psalm 23. This is where I got converted. Now, I, I pastor a church, but I was converted while I was preaching. 
Does that make any sense? Does it mean I was, I was preaching as an unbeliever before? No, not necessarily. God already calibrated my thinking. After 32 years of holding to a position that I finally found out was not total and complete. Psalm 23. Now remember what we said, how we got here? And time will not permit me to take it to Acts 15 which the church at the council in Jerusalem were having discussion and problems about admitting the Gentiles into the church and they debated back and forth and back and forth. What settled the matter? It seems good to me and the Holy Ghost, James said, that this is that that was spoken by the tabernacle through the tabernacle of David. Can you imagine that years after Jesus has died, buried, and resurrected, the church got into a place. They could not know what to do. They didn't know how to go forward. And they recalled what David did. Ah, no, 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 no. That, that's another teaching by itself. I, I, I can't even go there. Psalm 23. You have to wonder. And it's been said here already. How did this David get all of this, these things? This guy wrote half of the whole book of Psalms. And it left us with some powerful things that for even an unbeliever can recite it. As an unbeliever living in Nigeria, coming to this country, I didn't know any Bible, didn't have a Bible, but I remember Psalm 23. It is the cure-all vitamin for every occasion. You go to an exam, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You go to go apply for a job, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You want to talk to a girl to take her, take her on a date? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Any problem. Any problem anywhere. The average human being will recite some part of Psalm 23. But let that Psalm speak to us now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Don't read it like you're reading uh, Ebony Magazine. You miss it. Read it with the emphasis that David brought to him. Poetry. Just picture David in your mind when he was given this. As a shepherd boy, he was all too familiar with shepherds. He's seen them, how they graze their cattle and lead the cattle and what they do and keep and protect those cattle, animals. And he woke up one day, having appreciated his entire surroundings and the dealings of God in his life. Ah, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you see the emphasis? Eastern Airlines is not my shepherd. General Electric, Delta Airlines, GE, IBM. None of these things can ever come near to what God is to me. The Lord is my personal shepherd. If I was the only sheep on the earth, I'll be, he'd be my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Did you hear that? 
I shall not want. Maybe this thing is just speaking to me alone. I don't know. But because, because I don't think anybody else is getting what I'm saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David, what do you mean? Are you, is it just water? Is it coke? Is it, what do you mean you don't want? He's telling you how much confidence he has, he has in, the, in the ability of his shepherd to provide whatever he needs. Let it be written. I'm not just whispering this to Val. No, no, no. I'm not just saying this through Facebook to Revelation. No. I want it to be written for time and eternity. If I ever have a need, if there's any want in my life, I want to tell you who and what my source is. It's not a thing. It's a one. It is the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. With the same thought that he has as how he shepherds his sheep. In the same way as he has shepherded his own sheep, he understands the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's read on. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. Please don't miss the sentence, the way he wrote it. Right. He makes me, which means. David was all too aware that sheep will not always take initiatives. They will not always choose to do the right things. So what does this shepherd do? He maketh me. I don't feel like lying down, but he has a way to make me lie down. <laughs> He's giving credit that this shepherd he is so competent, so understanding for the need that the sheep has, even when the sheep does not see it, he makes me to lie down. Not just anywhere, in green pastures. He has already searched out the pastures. And you can almost see Numbers chapter 10 here, right there, because the Bible says how God went on a three-day journey to search out a resting place for Israel. He just did not allow them to wander in the wilderness and camp anywhere as the great shepherd that he was to that, to that congregation. The Bible said, God in the pillar of fire and of cloud went out on a three-day journey. I wonder why it was three days. Why was it not two days? Why was it not four days? Because his son, Jesus, will take a three-day journey to find rest for you and I. Numbers 1033. So in the same way as God searched for a resting place for Israel, David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Not in pastures that's dry, but green pastures. Keep on the thought. Let's keep on reading. What did he say next? He leads me beside it. Now, are you, are you like, oh God, He's my shepherd. He makes me. He leads me. What is he telling you about David? Totally, completely reliant on this shepherd. He's not trying to make anything happen on his own. He makes me to lie down. He leads me. You can almost say that if he does not lead him, he's not going. That's the implication. He leads me beside the still waters. 
He restores my soul. Which means there will be times when I'll be down. There will be times when I may be troubled. There may be times when things will happen to me that's untoward. But who restores me? He does. He restores my soul. Look at this next one. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh my God. Bishop Adeoye, sanctification. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Oh, bank, you can lead yourself. You can know the path to go. No. He leads me to your question. How will I be sanctified? Whose job it is? Hebrews makes it absolutely clear that no one will have to teach us. It will be written in the tablets of our heart. He, the anointing, is the one that teaches us. You will not need anybody else to say it and teach you. Example, sir. Let me use myself as an example. Born again in the storefront church. Mind you, before I got born again, I had taken six months leave of absence for my job. Because this African Negro is going to make it big in America. I'm going to open me a nightclub. We're going to dance, party, chase all the girls all over Atlanta, north and south, east and west, and just make it big. We are going to show America how to party. So for this, I took six months off my job. I'm at work, working midnight shift. I had handbills, flyers. I'm inviting everybody at the airport to come to my, to my grand opening. I'm giving it out. Come, come, come. We're opening the Afro-Caribbean connection. Reggae. Who shot the sheriff? <laughs> yes! Yeah, man! We're going to party, man. All over the airport, I'm giving handbills. I gave it to this one guy. He looked at me up and down, down, up. Bank, you need God. <laughs> he did not say more than that. For days and weeks, my head was echoing. I was head, it's like this guy was living in my head. God, bank, you need God. Who is God? I am God. Why would I need God? That's what I thought. Week one went by. Week two went by. This time, I'm off my job now. We've opened the club. We're rocking it out. I finally went and found these words. God, bank, you need God. Where is this God that this man is talking about? Which other God is there other than me? Went to this storefront church. I've never seen a young man preach the way this man preached. I got all excited. I said, wow, is this church? This is what I'm doing in nightclub. Young people jumping up and down, dancing in church service. They are dancing in church service. Keeping locks no short. I got born again. 
to your point about sanctification, he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I never heard a message on stop drinking, stop smoking, stop chasing women, stop partying. I never heard the message, but I heard a person. I left that church, went back to my partner and said, partner, we made a commitment for this club together, but I'm sorry to tell you, I found another partner that is bigger than anyone I've ever met. His name is Jesus. I am sorry. Whatever money I've given to this partnership, I'm leaving it. You don't owe me a thing. I am walking away from here and I left. Who told me to do that? He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. A pastor didn't tell me to do it. A deacon did not show me the nine steps of sanctification. Just the mere believing and embracing this person of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, it will change your life. What we lack is not the words, but what we've lacked is the person. When you encounter the person of Jesus Christ, it changes all the equation. I have never been back to the nightclub. Never told my pastor that I left the place. Because there was no point in it. Folks, listen. I thank God for calling us into the ministry. But let me tell you something. Don't ever think of yourself any more highly than you ought to. God does not need you. We need him. Are you kidding me? Who taught David these things? Where did David have the seminar on how to hear God? Somebody please answer that question for me. We won't leave unless you answer the question. Why are we limiting God? If God can take one little shepherd boy aside and groom him and taught him and used him the way he's used him. Yeah. Why do we now think we need to listen to TBN, Watch Station, Watch Star, Banker Kimola, and all of the preachers? On the, on the, why? Who taught Sunday Adelaja? You were there with him, my friend. We were there together, sir. Please, who taught him? To answer the question. Give me. The man that has a pastor the largest church in Europe got born again in the jail one day and the next day, it's in Ukraine. You know his greatest asset? He did not get a chance to be churched. The best thing that ever happened to Sonia Adelaja, he did not belong to a church. Our churches would have killed him. With the rules, regulations, protocol. Sunday, if you don't cut your hair in a particular way, ah, you can't be a deacon. You can be an usher. You can sing on the platform. Things that God never said. But God sent him to the backside of the desert. And in a one-on-one, -on -one, just reading this Bible, do this, do that, do this, do that. No man or no one can lay claim and say, a disciple son of Elijah. Isn't that amazing of God? <laughs> and the man is alive to tell the story. 
he gave this testimony. We met him when we took a mission trip to Russia years ago. This funny that he even said this. On the last day of the conference, he was our interpreter. Sondra Just to show you how, how incredible God is. He is interpreting for the preacher that's closing the meeting. Stand up, let us pray, let us believe God. And the preacher is praying. Sunday is interpreting. He said, out of the corner of his eye, he just opened his eye a little bit. And he saw a girl way up there on the balcony. He said, ah, ah. And he said, he said to himself, Sunday, close your eyes. You're supposed to close your eyes. You are praying. Don't look at the girl. Not knowing that the girl he was looking at <laughs> would be his wife. What's the point I'm making? We have our rules. The rule says, close your eyes when you're praying. Who said so? The Bible says, watch and pray. <laughs> Religion said, close your eyes and pray. So whatever God wants to show you while you're praying, you can see it. And they said, God didn't speak. God was speaking. You are religious. You can't hear it. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Folks, what I'm saying to us is just relax. If your heart is right and you embrace Jesus, he will lead you. You will not have to strive. He will lead you. And there's only one place he can lead you to. It's the path of righteousness. Why? Oh my God, David, you are going to kill me. Why is God doing that? Because I've prayed, I've fasted? No, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. God has a vested interest. Turn here to make sure you don't fail. He has a vested interest to make sure you don't fail. For his name's sake. What is at stake? His name. Not yours. You're going to live in time and go and go. But his name remains. So he's going to lead you. Why? For his name's sake. Don't forget that. It's not for you. The size of your church, those that come to your church, the nature, it's not about you at all. For his name's sake. How does David know this? Who taught him? Who was his teacher? Now, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, hallelujah. I will fear no evil. Before I even decode this one, please, the first three verses, he, 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 he makes me, he leads me, he restores me, he leads me. Now, verse 4, he's given his response. <laughs> Hallelujah! Now he begins to give his response. Yea, though. Why? After having partaken of the things he said above, it makes me lie in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in path. Now I can tell you, yea, though, I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Well, who else do I need? You are with me. Thy Lord and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely. Now this is where I got converted. Verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Sometimes, when I'm doing good, I'm telling you this is my conversion point. November 2013. I stood right here behind the sacred desk and I opened my mouth and said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And right there, God stopped me. Now, the congregation didn't get it. They didn't see it. This happened all in the spirit. God said, time out, bank. Do you believe what you just said? Do you truly believe that surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life? Hear what I heard. All the days, as in when you are tending Jesus' sheep, when you are slaying Goliath, yea, when you are sleeping with Bathsheba, does goodness and mercy stop? I want you to think. Who is, good, is, is goodness and mercy? Is it a phenomenon? Who is Mr. Goodness? Who is Mr. Mercy? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's not that they conditional will. No. I am the Lord and I change not. You may change, but I'm not going to change. I'm not going to stop being goodness. Neither will I stop being mercy just because you're messing up. No. You have no ability to change me. I am the Lord and I change not. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I was trying to just rationalize it and change it and say, God, as long as I'm walking in the spirit, as long as I'm doing the right things, as long as I'm praying, as long as I'm fasting, God said, that's your interpretation. You are trying to create me in your image. You didn't hear what I just said? We are trying to create God in our own image and perspective. God is already is. He does not need to be created. He is. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days. Now, mind you, mind you, God said this to me before I ever heard anybody say anything about what I'm talking about. I went home that day. I said, God, you're going to have to teach me. You're going to have to, because this, it was too much. I didn't share it with the congregation that, that day. I couldn't. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That was just the beginning. Look at the next sentence. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? No, no. Just when you are doing good. No, 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 no. It cannot be. Did you not hear Bishop's question? Abba fornicators. Adulterers. Idolaters. One second. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days 
of my as long as I breathe. You know what's so fun about it? Your unbelieving it does not change it. It is written. Now I can appreciate why God said, this man is a man of my heart. He is the only one that knows that I do not train like a chameleon. I don't love you today and love you less tomorrow. He is the only one that understands my love in a way that nobody has ever captured. Everybody else is trying to describe me based on their own perception of who I am. This is the only person that I know that understands my heart that no matter how deep you are in sin. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3 verse 18. Paul said we should know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That we should come to the fullness of God's love so that we can be filled with the fullness of God. You will never be as full as God is or as he desires for you to be if you don't understand love. I didn't write it. God wrote it. There is only one thing that motivates God. Love. Don't ever make the mistake to think that my prayer motivates God. Or my fasting motivates God. Don't, don't you ever make that mistake again. Only one thing. Galatians 5, 6, faith walketh through love. I'm going to throw this out there before I come back to explain it. Isn't that amazing? John 11, verses 1 through 5. Lazarus was sick. Martha, Mary, sent a delegation to go and find Jesus, to come and heal Lazarus. And it's amazing to me that when they got there, they did not say, Jesus, you remember the times you come to our house to eat? All the short ribs we've eaten together. You got to come for something. They didn't say Lazarus was a good person. They did not even dare say that Lazarus loved God. They didn't even go there. They just simply said one thing. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. The only calling card in this time hour of distress is calling on who he is to touch who he is. The one whom you love not the one who loves you. Because the one who loves you is fickle. He only loves you when things are fine, when things are well, when they are having a great time. Their love is like a roller coaster, up and down and up and down. So we can't count their love for you. That does not count. That will never move God. If you ever go to God to remember you because of your love for him, you are failed. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Then I heard Jesus say, I got to go. 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 Because love is calling. Love had to go lift that man or woman from that situation. Because that's the only thing love does. Can we take more? Can we take five more minutes? <laughs> oh, doctor, I'm sorry. 
Your question, your comment. Yes, just, um, I'm just, I know, um, I don't know how much time you, you have. Oh, I have all day. Okay. <laughs> I need help. Oh, thank you. I, I just feel that um, if um, we can. Um, um, just say it, Doc. Say it. Yeah. Looking at David and when he wrote this. I don't know if you can uh, give us uh, an insight into when he wrote this and what was going on with him. You know, sometimes they tell us, they give us a, a background of what David was going through when he arrived. Uh, that's a very good one. Uh, that's a very good one. And really, I really don't, I didn't, I didn't research that, but that's a very good point he's making. Like I said to you, the context sometimes provides a basis for understanding more. So that's a homework that we should do. What was happening in David's life when he wrote this? Let's take that homework assignment and, 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 get, and deal with that. But having said that, having said that, I think it's given us serious condensed New Testament theology. Serious condensed, but they had something, okay. Yes. Thank you, sir. Uh, you said something just now. You said, my unbelief cannot hinder the love of God for me. If my unbelief is not hinder... Wait, 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 wait. wait. Did I, when did I say that? You said, our unbelief cannot change. Our unbelief cannot change yes. who God is. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Our unbelieving, saying that if we don't believe what we are sharing now, it does not, it does not, it does not have a dent on the veracity of the point we're making. Our unbelieving, you, you can leave here and say, I heard what pastor said all day, I don't believe it. What I'm saying is it does not change the truth. It's still true. Do you understand what I'm saying now? Do you understand what I'm saying now? I'm saying even after we've said this, if our position do not change, if we remain unconvinced about what God has said about us, it doesn't change it. Is it true? What well, I said is it true? Yes. Um, <clears throat> Reverend, this is just a confession. Yes. Our church is young, <clears throat> and we have different kinds of people. Yes. We have most, if not almost, everybody has issues about. Two days ago, and I've been a little bit. Um, I didn't even tell my husband because I didn't want to discourage him. But I've just been just kind of tired, and I said, "God, can't you send us normal people? <laughs> can't you just send us people who don't have issues? You know, there's just something, you know, and some of the things you hear. You're almost horrified, and you're saying, "Didn't this person hear what we preached on Sunday?" You know. I'm so convicted because the righteousness is God who will lead for his name's sake. It's not me. No. no. And I don't have the right to set a standard for anybody. Absolutely. And I was saying, God, can you send those people without issues? And, and I, I had issues before I came to God. Is it because I got there first? And I'm the pastor. 
you know, it's just been, and I've just been sitting now thinking, for now you're just a silly fool. Because you're the pastor, you now set a standard for everybody. It's God who cleansed you. And it's Jesus who will bring them to the place where you are. Amen. Amen. And I'm asking God, look, can you send us people who don't have problems? So, and it's just, I mean, it's, thank you. Amen. That is liberating right there. When you realize that you don't have the answer. And God is not expecting for you to be the Mr. or Mrs. Answer Man. Just lead them to God. They are God's people. They are his sheep. Let him deal with them. All, is, all you are is a, message, a messenger. That's it. Errand boy or errand girl. That God will from time to time just come and say, oh, tell him this, tell her that. That's it. How, who can we change? We can't even change ourselves. Except the Lord build a house. Yeah, they labor in vain. And that is why I think it's important foundationally for us to teach people what we're sharing. And it is not a thing you can do in one week, in two, no. It's, 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 it's months and months and months of repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and give them the opportunity to give you feedback, talk back to you so you know what they're understanding, so you can help adjust, align, and on and on and on and on and on. That's why God repeats himself so many times in the Bible. He didn't say it just once and say you, you should get it. No. Over and over he repeats himself. Yes. You have the mic. So in lay of this new revelation or new truth, old truth that being revealed to us now, Yeah. It's obvious that uh, there's no acceptable reason to disband anybody from church. No acceptable reason ever. Because if you look at the, in the past, especially in a religious setting, we have some rules that was either what we excommunicate you from the church, cast you out, or we send you away uh, for a period of time, and then we're going to bring you back. Now, is that acceptable? In certain situations, yes. And I, I need to qualify that. Paul, in the book of Corinthians, tells us that it can, um, how did he put it? Correct. Yes. He said, he said he will cast a person away to Satan. Why? To destroy their flesh, but that their spirit will be saved. So there's a sense in which a person can be so divisive within the body. Hurting the body, it's a very divisive, uh, very strifeful. They will not live in a community of faith. Uh, every time they come to a situation, they're just always in tantrum, in that sense. For the sake of the rest of the body. Let, let me use this analogy. You are a pharmacist. And there's a doctor here who can corroborate this. If my arm was diseased and it has gangrene sets in, what did they do? Why? It will affect the entire body. You see the analogy I just gave? If a person is that destructive, disruptive, and that divisive in a local setting, if you don't address it, and sometimes that just escalates to where you have to help them find another body that they can function in, it may affect everybody else and destroy the whole work. But that 
is a place that only God can take you. God has to tell you, this is it. And then you have to, have to act. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Let me just share one last thought with us and then we're going to go to lunch. But I can guarantee you, you may not have an appetite to eat. Luke chapter 5. What I'm going to share now, I will explain after lunch. Let me just ruin your lunch first and then we... <laughs> Luke chapter 5. Now, in explaining this, I need to throw this out. How many of you know when the New Testament actually began? The operation of... What, when did the New Testament start? Pardon me? After resurrection. Anybody else? Pentecost. Okay. We're all on the same page. Everything everyone said is correct. If that is the case, now I'm about to throw another bomb. Pastor Davis. Dog. I don't know where we have to wear for vest for, to say bomb. If what we said is just true, and it is true, after resurrection, Pentecost, that's when the New Testament began. If that is the case, the majority part of Jesus' earthly ministry was under the law. I told you I'm going to ruin your lunch. Instead of eating fish and steak now, you're going to, you're going to barely be able to eat chicken nuggets. <laughs> I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So just a few days of his ministry is New Testament. I told you, you'll be radically changed. That's my promise. That being the case, oh boy, a tsunami is coming now. That being the case, Surely, you cannot go out and do everything Jesus did. I said, surely, you cannot go out and attempt to obey everything Jesus taught. You don't dare do it. I know you are looking at me. Kuzikov looks at your face. I'll give you some examples. And you answer me quickly if you are going to do this. When Jesus said, if a man's eye offends him, he's lustful. Every woman he sees on the street is, is gazing at her and looking at her, looking at the curves on her body and trying to wonder, is it Victoria's Secret? Is it what is she wearing? <laughs> Jesus said, when your eyes offend you, what should you do? Take it out and pluck it out. How many of you pluck your eyes out? Did Jesus not teach it? Oh, come on, answer me now. How many of your church members came to church with one patch on their eye and say, remember what happened to you? Oh, I was lost of a woman and I took my eye off not to offend. But Jesus taught it. Does it mean that all these years nobody has lost it? Does it mean no believer has ever lost it after somebody else for 2,000 years? Answer me. I told you guys that we, this is a radical encounter for all of us. Okay. It gets, it gets worse than that. 
if your right hand offends you, what is it to do with it? I, I don't see anyone armed man in the church. <laughs> you not come to church with one arm. But he taught these things. This sermon on the mount. Should we go read some of them? Or you believe me? He taught them. The son of God, Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher, the rabbi, prophet, master, teacher, all the titles combined together. Greater than the bishop. <laughs> if, now, I, I, I said those things because I wanted to start thinking. Because if, if we don't think, we won't, I mean, we will not really be able to come to the right conclusions. So obviously what Jesus was saying in that day to those people, going back to Dr. point, was for that setting. He was talking to a people who lived under the law, who esteemed the law, and he's trying to show them that the law as it were could never be fulfilled or obeyed by anybody. Amen. So he says to these people who prided themselves about, man, Pharisees, we are so Pharisees, we set ourselves apart. We are the real men of God. We believe God so much. We write scriptures on our head. We tie it on our... That's what the Pharisees... So what did they say to us? Except your righteousness. Exceeds the righteousness of who? So what was he saying to them? He's talking to all these people who had 630 laws. And they made more if they needed it. And they did it with pride that they were serving God. He says to them, eh, you think you're fulfilling the law? That shall not commit adultery. That's what the law says. Let me, let, me, let me raise the bar on you. Since law is your specialty, if you lost after a woman in your heart, mm. you've already done it. If you think adultery was bad, how about taking it in your heart? Can you fulfill that? Because the Pharisees prided themselves that I don't commit adultery. So I get a check in the law for that. So Jesus said, oh, really? You think that's what the law, you think that's really the, 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 the thought behind the law? How about thinking about it? So he raised the bar on them and kept on raising it to show them the futility of trying to live by the law. So he says to them, your hand offends you. If you really want to fulfill the law, cut it off. Let's really know how really religious you are. So you one-eyed man, one-hand man, walk to church. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Now, I said all of that to set you up for what you're going to hear before lunch. So you can have a ruined lunch. Because here in Luke chapter 5, clearly yet under the law. There's a miracle that happened here that happened again in the new covenant. And you are going to see the difference. Luke chapter 5. Verse 1. So it was. As the multitude pressed about him. To hear the word of God. That he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. So I'm messing your, your lunch up. And I'm messing the words up at the same time. <laughs> and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them. And were washing their nets. 
Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the line, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. Please pay attention to this. They caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Their net was what? What did they catch? What does fish represent in the scriptures? People. He said to these fishermen, come and follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Fish represents people, represents evangelism. Evangelism. They caught fish and what happened to their nets? Breaking. Now go with me to John 21. John 21. John 21. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus was still speaking under the old covenant. He didn't break the law. He came to fulfill it. So they caught fish and the fish what? The net was what? Breaking. John 21, post-resurrection. Covenant of grace. New covenant. John 21. Okay, verse 1, just so you know that this is after resurrection. Ah, no, 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 this is too much. Okay, let me just read John 20, verses 30 and 31. And I promise you we're going to be gone. John 20, 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe. That you may what? That you may what? And we're going to pick up John, chapter, John when we come back from lunch. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. That's it. But verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1. Let me make this point and we can go. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself and he lists them. Okay? Verse 5. I'm jumping so I can make the point and we can go. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Please pay attention. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Verse 8. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not so far from land but about 200 cubics dragging the net with the fish. Verse 11. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to line. Full of what? Large fish. 153. I wonder why God decided to tell us now. In Luke chapter 5, we are not told the number. John 21, we are told specifically 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Whoa! Preacher, what are you saying? Under the law, fish could be lost because the net broke. 
under the covenant of grace, fish can never once caught be lost. It took me 32 years to get here. I, like Paul, was famous as a Holy Ghost police challenging anybody that thought otherwise. I believe anybody that thought otherwise was not born again. That was my job. To confront them and show them how wrong they are. What am I going to do with scriptures when he's speaking so loudly? 153 large fish. And the scripture, for some reason, God decided to add a commentary. Although the net was not broken. Why did he put it there? And in Luke chapter 5, clearly, the net broke. If a net, fishing net breaks, what happens to the fish? You lose them. But if it does not break, what happens? You keep it. This is the greatest of all good news. I will explain this after lunch from scripture, but I want to first ruin your lunch so we can come back. And but listen, and like I told you, it's taken me months to get to this point. But if you're going to refute this, you have to bring me scriptures. Jesus clearly shows us the law and grace. Clearly, two miracles, the same kind of miracles, the same people involved in the miracles. Same night. One broke, the other didn't. The only difference was resurrection power. <laughs> Hallelujah! Now I can understand what David said. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The reason we think otherwise is because we don't really fully appreciate what Jesus did. We have no idea. We just knew he went to the cross. We don't know what happened there. At all. We have no appreciation. We, we have no understanding. Let me say this. Don't say, let's say we. I had no understanding. Let me make it personal. Because I put Jesus in my little box. And with my little belief system, where I'm so afraid of adulterers and sodomites and homosexuals that they can affect what God has done. When Jesus stood at that cross and proclaimed to the earth and to heaven, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I submit to you today, every person that has ever inhabited planet earth had been forgiven. Osama bin Laden, forgiven. Hitler, forgiven. Every human being that's ever lived, totally, completely forgiven. The difference between them and you and I is, we believe it, they didn't.
That's the only difference. Oh, uh, let's ruin this lunch completely. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just ruin it now, please. Because I'm, I can hear your questions. Oh, I'm born again. I commit adultery. I'm an idolater. I'm a fornicator. I this. What happens? Let me ask you a question. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus forgave your sin, did he forgive it backward or forward? No, answer my question. When he said their sins are forgiven, was it a past tense or something that goes forward? Forward. It had to be. I was not there 2,000 years ago when he did it. I stepped into time. I heard the message, got the revelation, believed it, sanctioned. What am I saying to you? Your sins, past, present, and future, has been forgiven 2,000 years ago. It's a fact. Because Jesus is no longer going to the cross. He went once. Once and for all. To perfect them who will be sanctified by him. One sacrifice. If that sacrifice took to get you born again, you don't think it will take now and for the future? I will show you scriptures after lunch. I just want to ruin the lunch first. And then when we come back, we go back to the scriptures. I like the silence. Deep thinking. So you can get to lunch, talk to one another, examine scriptures, and then we come back. You bring your questions, God will answer them. Not me, God. But I've given you enough to think about. And if you are really true and honest to the scriptures, it will be difficult to come away with a different position. If we allow the scriptures to speak to us, if we don't speak to the scriptures. Because I used to speak to the scriptures. I finally got to the place where I have to allow scriptures to talk to me. And then my position changed. Don't forget this. If forgive your sins, past, present, and future. Yes. No, ask, ask, ask. Talk to the mic, please. Carter Pearson missing. Yes. He was on to something. Yes. So he just missed it slightly. Correct. Can you especially that? Correct. Well, where he missed it was the universalism by saying because God has forgiven everybody, everybody will go to heaven. No. There is still a responsibility on each individual to receive and believe what God has done. It is the believing, it is the receiving and believing that constitutes to your faith and being born again. Apart from which you will not go. John 3, 17 makes it clear and 18. People that do not believe it are condemned already. So you still have to believe. That's why we preach the gospel. To bring people to the place of believing so they can receive it. John 1, 12. To him, he came to his own and his own receiving up. But to them that received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. You have to receive him and believe him. And some of the questions I used to have hinges on that word believe. Because I used to, I, some of the things I used to really struggle with in this doctrine hinges on that word, the way we interpret that word believe. 
we decode that after, 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 after lunch. It's no sense in me putting you guys on a, on a fast. On, you know. But we, we, we've said enough. You guys want to go to lunch, right? So, Father, we just thank you for our time together. We bless and honor you. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to each person and just help us to find understanding based on what's been shared. We commit our time to you. We bless you. We honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.